about what you are doing now. Um, you're consulting for junior players looking to play at that next level. What does that process look like now? I mean, we are uh, we're, we're, we are in a athletic environment uh, for universities where kids are getting recruited younger, younger, and it matters more and more. All right, welcome back to the Player Pursuits podcast. My name is Alex Shattuck. I am your host. And today we have a really special guest, Mike Burson. He's been around player development and college golf for a long time. I think we can imagine he's sort of seen it all. So welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, talk golf and uh, pleasure being a part of anything players, Player Pursuits does. So. Yeah, I really want to focus today on, you know, college golf player development and how that's changed um, over the last decade or two. I think that college golf is is uh, something that will continue to grow quite a bit. I mean, if you're a Georgia football fan, I don't know why you're not a Georgia golf fan. Um, you know, it's a great way to show that pride and it's probably in a sport you play too. Um, so I think some of the um, What's going on now with PGAU and all this stuff is has everything moving in the right direction. Mike, what is your background and, and when did you get into college golf yourself? Yeah, I have a kind of an unusual uh, road. I, I played junior golf and had all intentions of playing college golf, but was not uh, academically mature. And I lasted a very short stint in college. So uh, ended up, uh, as many of us do, following a girl uh, to uh, a different part of the country and uh, she was getting her PhD and I did, I had zero degrees. So I, uh, went back to school and, um, just through a, a friend ended up, uh, kind of volunteering with the men's program at South Carolina, uh, got really fortunate. The, uh, the assistant coach at the time over, uh, winter break left. Uh, so the, the head coach of the men's team at the time said, Hey, I'm kind of on my way out. I don't really want to recruit much. Do you want this gig? And I was like, sure. Uh, and then the next conversation was, I'm not going to recruit. You are in charge of recruiting. And I knew nothing about it. So I'm, uh, I'm taking over recruiting for this SEC program. Uh, so that was, I got my feet wet super quick. Um, and, uh, and then Bill McDonald came on, who's there now. And, and we had a really nice run together fortunate to have some really, really good players. And, and that kind of uh, got the ball, got the ball rolling. Yeah. What, so what years would that have been uh, that you were there? I was at Carolina from 2004 to 2011. Um, so, you know, often people will say who was there then um, the Brian brothers were there, Wesley, who's one on tour, um, Mark Anderson, Mark Silvers, those guys have all been out there. Um, I recruited Matt Neesmith, who's who's been on tour now for a while and done really well. So, um, and then they had some really good teams uh, after I left. You know, Bill Bill kept it going. So, uh, all right. Well, yeah, I'll just seven ask years, seven really that, really fun years. Yeah, I'll just ask the question that I'm sure the <laughs> listeners are going to want after that, which is, what was recruiting and coaching the Bryan brothers like? Yeah, so two very different experiences. Uh, George, who's the older one, was going to come to Carolina pretty much regardless. So we did very little recruiting. He was going to come. Um, George is a little bit more reserved, uh, a little bit more type A. Um, Wesley, it was quite different. Uh, 
Oklahoma State, Clemson, Georgia. I think he had a relative that went to Clemson. Um, Wesley enjoyed that, that whole process very much. Um, so it was very different. Could not have been more different. Coaching, very different. Um, as many people know, George was a three-time All-American, uh, was just a machine. Uh, one of the prettiest, most efficient uh, to green guys I've ever been around was so strong mentally. Um, Wesley kind of would hit it everywhere and then get up and down from just places that you would never think people can get up and down. Um, had a nice college career, but certainly nothing like his brother. So it was very interesting. Uh, I left and Wesley had another year or two. So I uh, got to see two or three years of him and four years of George. And um, yeah, they're good kids. They're good kids and um, both great players. And it wouldn't surprise me if George got out there. You know, he's uh, T to green. He's he's a freak. Yeah, you know, I come out of the kind of Mike Bender school. I went to the Elite Academy and, um, you know, they worked a little here and there uh, with Mike, but their dad is a kind of disciple. And so it's been fun to follow them forever and, and root for them. And, and George finally getting a PGA Tour start and cut made um, is is absolutely fantastic. So at a school in the SEC like South Carolina, you're getting a lot of talent. You're playing at a high level. What is your role as a coach in that environment, uh, kind of week in and week out? And how do you see player development? Yeah, so I would say the two, the two places that I was at that I coached, it could not have been more different. I would say from just how the game has changed and how the role changed. I mean, when I, my first few at Carolina, assistant coaches couldn't even coach. So I would travel and then couldn't do much at the golf course. Um, it was a, there was a one coach rule. Um, you know, as far as player development, I would say at Carolina, I mean, we were fortunate that, you know, we had some really, really good players. Um, course management is, I think, is that, you know, that's a big change at the college level that college coaches spend, I would say if they spend, you know, the majority of time on one theme it's course management um so you know that was a big part of what we were doing uh you know these kids were pretty good when we got them um so it was just making sure that they had the tools you know they were paying attention to the parts of their game that that really um you know were keeping them from taking the next step but um you know making sure they're in the right kind of headspace um and then, you know, as, as two coaches were able to be involved, that changed. I mean, the business, the business has really changed. I mean, um, and I think that's changed player development too, which is a whole nother discussion. Um, you know, when I was, when I started, I was making $27,000 uh, as an assistant 18 years ago. Um, and now, you know, you can make a lot of money coaching college golf. Uh, even at the assistance level. Uh, so um, again, a whole nother discussion, television and, and what that's done for the game. But, uh, you know, the game's changed a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, I speaking to that assistant role, I, I was an assistant coach for a year um, at South Dakota State and, and being there a couple hours early, uh, printing out books and making sure guys knew exactly where their target lines were and where their misses into the greens were uh, so that they had it all by the time they uh, teed off is, I'm sure, more of a new development, but is a, is a big role, I think, that um, 
you know, the, the big holistic approach, making sure that they have everything they need to succeed um, is, is where things have been going and where they're only going to continue to get better. Yeah. And I think it's changed. It really depends on who you work for too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I worked, Bill McDonald was the number one ranked junior in the country when he was growing up, he played at Georgia tech. So um, I was, I was watching and learning as much as I was doing anything else. Uh, Cause he, although he hadn't coached before, uh, nobody has a better playing record, you know, in the college and junior ranks than Bill does. So that was really big for me. You know, I was an okay junior player, but to watch and learn uh, what he did um, was great. And, you know, I, I think at other places, head coaches really just kind of let assistants run the show. Uh, I think as a head coach, I was probably somewhere in the middle. Like I wanted my assistant coach to have responsibilities and, and, and have the freedom to make decisions. And that goes into who you hire. But um, again, it goes back to like the business has really changed, you know, uh, golf teams now have three coaches. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's a whole nother thing, you know, that that's occurred in the last year or so. Yeah. I was talking to a college coach, um, not that long ago, talking about the recruiting battle now and how it's, it's evolved so much. He's trying to recruit against schools that are flying everywhere private. Um, you know, and he's got a van and five years ago that the super nice Mercedes van was all you needed. That was awesome. And it's just keeps leveling up. And it seems like the, the talent of the players is, is following what are your thoughts on you know things that the pga are trying to do to sort of turn college golf into the the breeding ground for talent i think it's way overdue i mean there's a long track record of you know the the highest level of college players being fairly successful or immediately at the pro level and you know the highest level of college golf um Boy, you know, the way the courses are set up and the courses they play and the talent level, you know, it's not that many steps behind a, a corn fairy, certainly not the depth. I am not, I'm not insinuating that, but um, they play really hard courses. The setups are hard. You know, you're playing against the, the terrific fields. Um, so I think it's great. I think it's overdue. As you can see, it's working. I mean, these guys are going out and, you know, we had a guy on the Ryder Cup team who was on a college team uh four months prior uh and he was not out of place you know uh, playing on the european team so um yeah I, I hope there's more progress you know i think the 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 big drum that has not been you know kind of hit yet is is the ncaa champion getting in the masters um you know hopefully that happens soon and, and that's in the works but um yeah, I mean, it, it can't happen fast enough. And, and and I think hopefully the tour will keep doing more. I like what you said, uh, you know, stressing how talented uh, these players are, you know, the time of year that they're playing and the difficulty of golf course is oftentimes misunderstood by uh, whether it's fans, people just checking in on scores, or especially recruits. Um, you know, I remember even in my re- journey being recruited, seeing the scores and going, oh, you know, whatever, um, until until you get there and realize how much more difficult it is. The college golf season is predominantly cold weather months, which I want to talk to you more about being at a warm school, warm climate school, cold climate school, um, but also just the challenge of the courses themselves. And I've, I've always encouraged anybody, um, if it, 
if there's a college golf tournament around where you are, like you're allowed to go watch. It's encouraged. Um, go, go check out the talent because it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, as far as fans or amateurs looking to better their own game, what are some things that you would recommend they keep an eye out for when watching this level of play? Yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of opportunities now. The Golf Channel is doing a terrific job showing college golf. So I think you really hit on something is when you're watching an event and a kid is shooting 75, you know, I, I mean, I hear it in what I do now. You know, kids look at rosters and say, well, I think I could do that. You know, and you have to remind people, listen, you know, 75 from 7,300 yards in mid-October when it's 55 degrees um, is quite different than, you know, maybe somebody's 71 in July from 6,600 yards. Um, it's a, it, you know, what I tell people, it's like a, a, a high school basketball player getting to the college level and the court is 10 feet longer. Everybody is, you know, eight and a half feet tall and the basket's higher. And this ball is a ball we've never played with before. It's not the same game. You know, we're still hitting shots. There's still 18 holes, but it does not look like junior golf. <laughs> so, and you know that it is way different. And, uh, you know, and, and the other thing that you're aware of is the kid that is, you know, shooting 74, 75 in a college tournament, you know, well, he's shooting probably even par at home just to get on the bus. You know, the, the guys that are your top players on a college roster, you know, they're, they're shooting. 10 under par at home in a, in a three round qualifier, if not more. Um, so, you know, that, that tournament average is usually, boy, you know, two strokes higher than what they're shooting at home. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's a big eye opener for people when they watch, you know, college golf on TV is, um, you know, you, you take what you're going to shoot as a junior and you, and you need to probably add two to three shots and, you know, just, just transferring that no progress, which people are going to get better but that's probably what you're going to shoot on that setup. I don't know if, you know, that's how you felt when you kind of transitioned into college golf, but it's, I uh, think it, it's I much, think it's that it's a, it's a different game. It's a completely different game. And I think you even expounded on what I said better than I could have. It's, it's, um, you know, looking at college golf scores and there are exceptions to every rule and, you know, every course is different, but if you see a kid shooting 74, 75 and he's middle of the pack, he, he's a plus whatever it is, handicap. Like he's, he's probably the club champion at whatever club he comes out of. Um, and so that level of talent doesn't always manifest itself on leaderboards for the general public. But I think that's where, you know, knowing and understanding the situations um, can, can make it as seem as impressive as it is. Yeah. I mean, you lived it, you know, I, I tell kids all the time. Um, you obviously want to be on a team. You want to be on a roster, but, that four through seven spot on a college golf roster, that's not a happy spot. <laughs> it's, it's stressful. You're not spending, you know, as much time with your teammates and your coaches as the guys that are regularly traveling are. So they're sharing experiences. Um, you know, when you are around the coaching staff, you're in this stressful environment. Um, a lot of times the guys that are at home regularly, some of those guys aren't going to be super motivated, probably just, it's just the law of averages. So, um, Four to seven is not, that's not where you want to live on a college golf roster. No, not at all. That's a, that's a really uncomffortable spot to be because, and, and, and even <laughs> just from a student 
student perspective. You're like, I don't even know what weeks I'm going to be here. Actually, I'm not like it makes planning for anything um, a little bit of a pain. So uh, let's talk about I, I really want to talk about the difference. Um, we're heading into the off season. It's, it's starting to get cold in a lot of the country. Um, you know, you were an assistant at South Carolina and then a coach at uh, Wisconsin. What differences did you see in in the two climates when it came to your off season um, preparedness out of your players and what kind of things were you doing at um, each school? Yeah, I, I think what we tried to do was very similar. I think what how effective we I was able to be was was what's different. Um, you know, not much goes on November, December anywhere. Kids aren't playing that much golf on campus. They're, they're tired, but January, you know, early February, I mean, definitely trying to get back into the swing of things, you know, at Wisconsin, we weren't playing anywhere unless we were going on practice trips in the, you know, on the weekends, which we did, but you know, when we're home, it's a lot of wedge work. Uh, it's a lot of distance control stuff. It's a lot of short game indoors, which is great. We had a beautiful building, but, um, you can't replicate it. So, you know, when we got to tournament time, one of our first events when I was at Wisconsin was the big 10 match play. And I also, I actually thought, you know, it was a good learning opportunity because um, my charge that week was, listen, let's not give shots away. Let's make them play. And essentially what I was saying was we've just got to stay in holes, right? We've got, we've got to just try to build some momentum, you know, keep the ball in front of us, you know, which turns into in a match play situation, just, just forcing your opponent to hit shots. Um, that, you know, that theory, that, that mindset, I think is more difficult when you're counting them all. Um, and, uh, I think you see that with Northern schools, you know, uh, college teams that, that come out of the fall, uh, you know, let's just talk big 10. Cause that's where I was. If you're not ranked inside the top 40 out coming out of the fall, the spring is going to be very difficult, uh, because, you know, it's just the way it is. You're probably going to have a week or two where you're not going to play well or it's going to be a struggle because you're going to go south in February and, and early March against Southern teams. So um, that made, you know, that, that was challenging. So, um, you know, again, I, I think the expectations are similar, but what you can do uh, with the constraints of the weather and, and what your expectations are, um, are very, very different. You know, and, and coaches tried to go about it different ways. You know, there was a coach at one point that just tried to play a bunch of match play until early April. Um, so he really didn't take a bunch of hits and stroke play. And, you know, that worked for, for that particular guy. Um, so I, I don't know if there's a right and a wrong, but I think, you know, when you are in Northern school, you, you do have to have a good fall, you know, as we, as we look at these new rankings that have come out, because uh, the spring is very difficult. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot of people maybe listening that don't even really know the college golf season is, is a long one. Um, yeah. it, it, I, it always started, you know, at least team activities qualifying right when you get on campus in the fall. And if let's say you get into regionals and NCAAs, and at this point, you're in summer, and there's there's a couple months, you know, it's, it's very, very much in the off season now, uh, the last college events finished probably a week or two ago, uh, rankings are out now. And it won't start up again, um, you know, until kids are back well back in school um, after a Christmas break. But it's a long season. It, it's a marathon. It is not a sprint. 
Yeah. And that was one thing, you know, that I always really preached to our kids was, you know, once we got back from that last tournament, which was usually early November, you know, I told them we're, we'll continue with fitness. But other than that, like you guys need to just take some time, you know, because hopefully you've got a team full of guys that are playing a really active summer schedule, you know, regionally and nationally playing those those great amateur events. So if they're doing that, you know, they're starting the end of January and they're going until November one. Um, and they're trying to go to school, which I think is, gets lost in that whole thing. So, um, you know, in recruiting, I know when we used to have visits and, and, and in what I do now, families get really caught up in weather and climate. And, and I say, Hey, or late January, February, early March, that's a valid question. Right. And, and that's an important part of recruiting November and December. It doesn't really matter. You know, the, the kids in, in Madison are not playing that much less golf than the kids in South Florida because um, they're tired and they're catching up on schoolwork. The game of golf. It's both challenging and rewarding, requiring focus, concentration, and the ability to tune out outside distractions. Peak performance is achieved through a synergy of body and mind. Shell Golf Apparel is designed with advanced textile technology that moves with you with four-way stretch and moisture-wicking properties that keep you cool and dry. Visit shell.shop today and get 40% off the entire golf collection using promo code PLAYERPURSUITS. Now, back to the podcast with your host, Alex Shatek. So let's talk about what you are doing now. Um, you're consulting for junior players looking to play at that next level. What does that process look like now? I mean, we are, uh, we're, we are in a athletic environment, uh, for universities where kids are getting recruited younger and younger and it matters more and more. Yeah. So, you know, when I started to think about getting out of coaching, um, I remember my wife asked me, I, it was actually something I brought up because I was enjoying being home during COVID and, and our daughter was getting older. And, you know, she said, if we move back to kind of where we had talked about, she's like, what are you going to do? And I, my first answer was, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out because I, I really wanted to spend more time at home. Um, you know, the more I got thinking about it, I mean, the recruiting was kind of an obvious segue into something I thought I could be okay at. Um, you know, the recruiting games really changed. I mean, when I was at Carolina, we were offering kids their freshman year. Uh, you know, kids were coming on visits when they were eighth graders. You can't do that stuff anymore. Uh, and now we've got the portal and COVID is, that stuff's kind of waning, but um, some legislation changes, which have been positive. So I thought the recruiting thing is something I could help people with. Um, the performance, you know, idea is kind of the other half of my company. And I think, most college coaches will tell you, and, and you're very aware of this, um, there is a connection to why kids, you know, swing the golf club so well, fundamentally are pretty sound, have nice junior careers, and then why, why do so many of those kids not have success at the college level and relative to their ability, right? Um, and the, the, the themes that I, are so heavily taught in college are course management. How do you practice and short game? right? Statistics. What do you do with those statistics? Um, as you increase your level, as you get better, as you move up, uh, you know, you're playing at higher levels, golf full swing becomes a lot less important. 
because nobody gets to you know a college level regardless of one two or three uh, everybody can swing it pretty good and uh, you know it was always interesting to me and I think I really dove into it when I went to Wisconsin because the one thing I realized was listen I'm in a climate now where uh, it's not as it's not as warm as I the school I came from there's not going to be as many golfers um, so what's something that I need to focus on? And I, I really focused on course management a lot when I was at Wisconsin and I really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, had some success, uh, not as much as I wanted to, but, um, I thought, you know, this is not being taught at the junior level at all. Um, for whatever reason in our country, it's not hard to get a full swing lesson. It's pretty easy to get a good one, but, uh, course management, statistics practice structure is just not taught um and uh i tell people now you know that i talk to about what i do i i tell them listen if, if you have somebody that, that focuses on those three themes you need to stay with them <laughs> because what they're doing is is really unique it's really cool and it's really admirable um because you know what happens with a six iron for 45 minutes on a flat range tee uh, has very, very little connection to successful golf at a higher level. And I would include college golf, right? Um, so that's what I focus on. You know, we don't talk about full swing. We talk about things we can control, preparing for events, yardage books, all that good stuff. And, um, you know, it's it's decisions. You can decide to do these things. It does not take any talent to take notes in a practice round. Uh, I could not, not agree more. But, I think yeah. that, you know, and, and I generally work backwards. I think that coaches don't offer it because clients don't ask for it. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's sort of on them to emphasize its importance. Um, you know, everyone wants a beautiful golf swing. Everyone wants to hit a beautiful ball on the range. And yeah, that stuff does transfer and translate to performance at some capacity. Um, but it's not allowing you to play at your ceiling. Um, you know, I, I just had another guest on, you know, building a perfect golf swing maybe raises your ceiling, but it's all the other things to, that you're doing that are going to allow you to play at that level and um, score at that level. So I want to take, I, th I think that what you're doing is great for uh, the player. You've seen thousands of players go through this system from junior golf to college golf to professional golf. What things strike you the most about the players who make it and the players who don't and by make it I mean playing full-time and making a career out of it yeah so I think a lot of it goes back to what we talked about um you really you know you really have to be you really have to be good at course management um you have to have a good short game um you know I just caddied at Q school a couple weeks ago for a player that, that played for me and, and is doing a great job at the next level. And um, everybody swing, you know, everybody swings it pretty good at Q school. Um, you know, uh, there, there's one thing that really stands out that I think is a little bit of the outlier in these themes that we talk about. And that's distance. You have to hit it far. And that's kind of sad in a way, but um, you know, the longer you hit it, uh, the less stellar you have to be with your wedges uh, with your putter, you know, I, I kids that are, are really long and, and, you know, move at 320 off the tee, if they're average to slightly above average with their wedges, 
and their putter and their attitude, boy, there's a good chance they're going to play at us really high level, <laughs> really high level. Um, so, you know, again, I, I think, um, you know, attitude, but then attitudes linked to preparation and preparation is linked to statistics and statistics, you know, drives your practice structure. I mean, it's, those things are all connected in a circle. Um, but, you know, to answer there is that distance part is, is an outlier. It's, uh, I don't know if there's, there's not much room out there for somebody that hits at 280. There just isn't um, because you're at such a disadvantage. You know, you're, you're hitting, um, when you're hitting six iron from this, from the, you know, a place where uh, another guy's hit nine iron, it's, it's not a fair fight. It's not a fair fight. You, you may win occasionally, um, but boy, it's going to make, it's going to make for a long day. I had an instructor once tell me that uh, at the highest level, ball striking is just the price of admission. It's the prerequisite. And I think distance is, is more and more, maybe more and more, but more than anything, we're just realizing how important it is to that uh, conversation. And then after that, it's your course management, it's your short game, it's your ability to stay at whatever level it is that you play your best. Yeah. Um, you know, for some players- that's You don't even have to hit it that straight. No. <laughs> you don't even have to hit it that straight. I mean, you really don't. Um, you know, if it, if it's relatively on the planet and, and you got a short club on, you know, for your next one. I mean, the two greatest players of the last, our generation, maybe the last generation in, in Tiger and Phil only averaged 50% off the tee, you know. Um, but they both had unbelievable attitudes and from 140 and in just, you know, two of the greatest. So, um you know, within reason, as long as it's, it's, you know, in the fairway or, 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 you know, a, a decent spot in the rough, um, long is really important. Yeah, I'd say long is very important. And I also, um, I, I, something you said there made me rethink of something because I've had, I've been fortunate enough to caddy a little bit on the LPGA tour, I've caddied on the PGA tour a little bit. Um, and then just seeing high level juniors now starting to make, make strides in their career um attitude and and that attitude can almost border on cockiness but i i noticed yeah. that the best players have a lot of swagger and and you know whether it's the chicken or the egg do they, do they have that level of cockiness because they're a good player or do you, are they because a good player because they have that level of cockiness i don't think it matters but it's something i notice so i tell my guys to fake it till they make it yeah yeah, and the and the most confident guys are usually the best players, and the best players are the most prepared. So, um, you know, what I tell my kids and my families, you know, show me a kid that's got a really bad attitude and is immature, and I would almost bet that that kid is not prepared in some form, right? Whether it's the golf course, whether it's how they warm up before a round, whether it's, you know, they threw the cars in the, in the truck after the practice round, they didn't do any putting work. Um, show, show me an ill-tempered player and I'll show you an, a very unprepared player. So, you know, preparation breeds confidence. It breeds uh, clarity. It, 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 you know, it breeds belief in oneself. Uh, I think the most important thing is it breeds acceptance. You know, uh, preparation increases your chances for success, but 
it doesn't guarantee anything. Uh, but you know, I think if you can wrap your brain around, you know, I did everything I can, everything I could, I can put my head on the pillow tonight. Um, I couldn't have done anything else. I, I think that leads to acceptance. Yeah. I mean, if you go out and you struggle towards the end of a round, you don't have the finish that you want, but you know, you did everything about it. You're going to be able to move forward in a way that is more productive than the player who's now second guessing their decisions now second guessing the way that they prepared. Um, yeah. and, and that matters more moving forward. It's like, uh, you know, like I said, with the season, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's the same thing with a golf career. Um, and yeah, and I would challenge, I would challenge everybody that listens. And, and I ask families this a lot, you know, if you're thinking about, um, hiring a mental coach, or you're thinking about really diving into the mental side of golf, I think that's really important to, to be aware and to try to improve. But I would challenge you to first look at your course management. Um, if you're really poor at course management, making bad decisions, you have no chance of being good with the mental side. So, um, you know, I tell families that now I'm all for, there's some awesome guys that do some great work. Uh, you know, the vision 54, uh, Pia and Lynn and, and Dr. Otella and Dr. Mo. Um, but they can't help you if, um, if you're making poor decisions. So no, I, I think that's really, really important. So just as far as an actionable step for listeners, whether it's a junior, whether it's a 15 handicap, just looking to get to single digits, what, when we talk about this course management, what actionable steps are we suggesting that they do? Uh, yeah, I think off the tee and into greens, you know, picking a line, picking a club and picking a shot that creates the least amount of stress as possible, right? I think in summary. I mean, what I tell junior golfers at the junior golf level, there's going to be very, very few holes that are over 420. Okay. So for example, if we have a dog lay right and you know, the corner is at 250 and the hole is 400 yards long, right? If you hit your three wood 245 to 255. Okay. Um, in general, right, there are exceptions, but in general, it is not a driver hole, <laughs> right? It, it's, we're picking, we're, we're bringing in stress. Um, now, you know, if there's no trees at the corner, if it's downwind, if we're in a playoff, if we're down by one, and we, I mean, there are situations where the driver is the play, but, the, you know, that's just a, a snapshot of, um, you know, we've got to hit shots that create low level, levels of stress. And that, you know, that goes into expectation management. You know, the, the average tour player from 100 yards hits their shot to 16 feet. So, you know, that's where our target should be. If the flag's on the left, the target should be 16 feet right of the hole. And if it ends up closer than that, well, we're super fortunate. Uh, but if we end up at 16 to 20 feet for an amateur, that's an unbelievably good golf shot, you know? I think a lot of people think, you know, I hit a tee shot to hundred yards and I two putted from 20 feet. Gosh, you know, I should have made birdie there. No, you just, you played a really good hole of golf. You two putted from 20 feet. I mean, that's, that's great golf. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Uh, I get into that yeah, all the time so, with my players. Yeah. Yeah. So just expectation management and realizing what's a good shot. What is a good shot on tour? Um, it's, it's not what people think it is usually. So. Uh, that all that all 
kind of bleeds into the mental side. And that's where I tell players, go watch an event rather than watch it on TV. Sit on the sit behind a par three and watch the shots that players hit. At a PGA Tour event, you will see some of the worst shots you've ever seen. <laughs> and they're just going to make either make par or bogey from there and move on, kill the par fives, and get in the house at, you know, 68 and, and be feeling okay about it. Um, and that's, you leave a tour event, if, if you watch the right way, or the same for a high-level college event, both amazed, but also kind of feeling like it's, it's more reasonable now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, knowing, they, you know, go yeah, ahead. they make, they make very few course management errors in general, the guys are making cuts every week. Um, the one thing that they do that I tell players, you have to get up and down from the places you should get up and down from. And, and that, those are not short sides, right? When we, when we have the ball on the wide side of the green, you know, in two or three and a par five, they get up and down from those spots, you know, more than 50% of the time. And that's really all they're doing. Um, you know, when, when they shoot 62 or 63, unbelievable kudos to those guys and that's fun to watch but um that is not the norm and and those are usually days you know i think the stat is the average winner on tour makes two putts over 20 feet and the uh the average player who doesn't win makes one putt over 20 feet so you know the the margins are so small and uh you know good consistent you know, a bunch of greens and regulation and, and two putting. I mean, those were Tiger's goals, right? He wanted to lead in, in essentially greens and regulation and he didn't want a three putt. And, and in his heyday, those were his goals. Um, and it worked out for him. Well, it's amazing because Tiger's reputation would always, was always the guy who uh, pulled off all these amazing feats, but that's not really what the numbers actually tell you. You know, he he play he picked the smartest targets. He was on the fat side versus the um, you know the trouble side uh, the right amount of time as as the data says. And, you know, he's not aiming at every yeah. flag. So why are we? <laughs> no, no, it. Yeah, it's a tough lesson to learn. I think, especially for kids. Um, but boy, it's so so important. And as you know, when you get to college, if uh, I, I used to tell kids the most important skill in college is being a good lag putter uh, because, you know, flags are tucked and greens are faster. And it's um, if you can be a good lag putter in college, you, you can have a nice college career. So well, it, it takes seems like a simple skill, but it takes all the stress off the rest of your game. All you need to do and as if, as if this is super easy, but all you need to do is put the ball in play off the tee, put it somewhere on or near the green you know, not super short-sighted and you're going to leave with a lot of pars and you basically yeah. bide your time until the putter gets hot. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, relative to level, I mean, in college, if, if you can average 71 and, and, you know, and win, you know, and I know it's hard to win, but 71 or better and win and, and, you know, appropriate, good play in, in, in good fields relative to the level you're at, you can be an all American, <laughs> um, you know, the, it's, it's a lot harder than it sounds, but, but that's really, you know, what those players are doing. Uh, it's, it's, uh, 
you know, seem simple, but hard lessons. Yeah, I and I I come from that world. I love college golf. I'm I'm constantly on SpikeMark.com. We'll plug them for being the new the new um, scoring and ranking system for the NCAA. Uh, finally, or kind of off of golf stat over at SpikeMark. You should everyone should go check it out and pick a team, root for them, follow them. Um, yeah. You know they'd love it, and it's it's fun too. It's it's as fun as any other sport, I think. It is. Um, and go out and watch an event. Um, Mike, it has been great to have you on. I think, you know, I, my goal for today was to have something for, you know, high level juniors looking to take that next step and something for the, the club member to learn from and be able to implement into their own game. I want you to have the chance to kind of plug your business. So if anyone wants more details or more, a more personalized approach, they can, they can reach out to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably more active on Instagram, uh, just under par consulting, um, and then under par consulting.com, uh, is, is the website kind of a mix of, uh, kind of performance coaching and, and recruiting guidance, um, located in Charleston, South Carolina, but, but work with, with players kind of scattered all over the country and, uh, you know, happy to, happy to help anybody that, that, that needs some help. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Mike. This is the Player Pursuits podcast. Until next time.